Well, we do have a business meeting today. And so Rob and I, in order to prepare for that, we decided we should have a little bonding time. You know, so we can work well together, so we can just, you know, function at top-notch level. So Rob and I decided to go watch some WSU alumni playing a basketball game together, you know? So this is going to really bring us together. I love basketball. Rob loves WSU. This is, this is really going to work out great, right? How can it go wrong? Well, it went wrong. WSU lost, so, you know, I mean, just the whole experience got ruined. So uh, I think that maybe Rob and I are going to have to quit hanging out together outside of church because that was just a sad, depressing state when the WSU ended up losing. Well, today as we begin chapter 4, I'd like us to think about a particular thing, and we'll emphasize it at the end. And you've maybe heard this idea or this principle before, but... When a difficult situation comes, do you see it as, well, how do I get out of this? Or do you look at it as something a little bit more like, maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe there's an opportunity here. Sometimes we come and we have problems and there's an issue and it's not good and it's difficult, but Rather than saying to ourselves, I just want to leave this situation and how do I get out of it and what do I got to do to not be in it anymore, maybe there are some opportunities that we're not recognizing. So as we go in Acts chapter 4 verse 1, we remember that in chapter 3 we had this uh, miraculous healing of a man who was inside the temple. He's begging for mother, money. Peter and John came. They heal him through the power of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Peter preaches a sermon based on that. We talked about that last week. And now we go on to chapter 4, and now we're going to see not just the response of the people around the temple who saw this happen. We're going to see the response of the leadership within the Jewish world. So we see here in verse 1, it says, And they were speaking to the people, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they would work inside the temple. But then you have the captain of the temple, which isn't mentioned in the Bible very many times. But this actually was an incredibly important place to be. He was a member of the high priestly family, and he was probably the number two in command over the temple. He really had a couple different jobs. One was he was supposed to keep the peace, but it was also very important that he kept any messianic expectations that Rome would dislike at bay. So, if you want to get yourself in trouble in the first century, in Judah, in, Ju in uh, Israel, what are you going to do? You're going to make Rome mad, right? And so this guy would kind of help make sure we're not doing anything around here that makes Rome angry. And then you have the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are a very kind of interesting group. I read this week that why they kind of argued they went back to the priest Zodak, who was under the high priest of Solomon, we actually probably don't have a perfect picture of the Sadducees and what they all did outside of biblical literature. I mean, the Bible talks about a lot. We understand. We know what we know from that. But we actually don't have a lot of, or really any, writings of the Sadducees themselves. We only have the enemies of the Sadducees writing about them. And so when you 
only have the enemies or the people that disagree with the Sadducees writing about them, what kind of picture of the Sadducees are you going to get? Well, probably a bit of a slanted one, right? And so I don't really know what the complete unslant is, but as we're studying the Sadducees, it's kind of important to know we don't necessarily know a lot about them. Some things that we think we know about them, we're pretty sure, and I think some things you can argue from the Bible is that they seem to do a really good job of cooperating with Rome. So, if you want to raise up in you know, society, who did you need to um, cater to in this particular time period? Rome, of course. And so the Sadducees were this religious group that really seemed to cater to Rome, this faction of part of the religious leadership that catered to Rome. They also, we're pretty sure, denied the possibility of rec resurrection when a person died, so if the soul died with them. And so when Peter and John talk about Jesus, and they talk about him being the Messiah, that's strike number one, because talking about a Savior that's coming to the world, that's going to save them, and of course, in the eyes of the Jews, the Savior that's going to come into the world isn't just going to come and die, right? That idea would be he's going to come and free them from Rome. So, Romans did not like these kind of messianic messages, so their strike number one, Rome doesn't want a Messiah, so neither do the Sadducees particularly, it's going to make Rome mad. And also, of course, what is the claim here? That Jesus died and rose again, which of course, if you don't believe in resurrection as a possibility, this is also not working out for the Sadducees. So you have the temple uh, captain, you have the priests, you have the Sadducees, and they are coming upon them. And this word coming upon them really kind of suggests that there is a
this negative thing is happening. They're being arrested. Christianity continues to spread from, three, from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. And it says the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, there's kind of a debate that there's probably no answer to. Is this the use of the word men to mean both men and women? Is that possible? There's times in the word that this Greek word men does refer to both men and women. So it could be a total of 5,000. But it also could be just being talked about men. So then it's probably not 5,000 total. The total becomes like, well, you, you know, double it. You say, okay, that's about 1,000. You know, there's 5,000. That's about 10,000. If you want to, let's just throw some kids in there. Maybe you can even make it you know, 15,000. We're not totally sure. But certainly the number has grown to an incredible degree. We go on verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Now, when they gathered together in Jerusalem, there's probably about 71 members of the Sanhedrin that came together. This is like the Jewish Supreme Court, so they're all 71, or at least a part of that group, came together to deal with this issue. The leaders would have certainly been the senior priests. The elders probably would have been like civic leaders, you know, chief tribal people, heads of family, things like that. The scribes were likely mostly Pharisees that interpreted the law, and of course... Sadducees would have been there as well, and the Sadducees likely had the most power because of their connection to Rome. So this group together comes, and this group together mentions here in verse 6, with Ananias the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who of the high priestly family. Now, Annas, I think I said Ananias, I, uh, there's another Ananias in the Bible, right? I'll switch at Acts. With Annas, now Annas wasn't actually the high priest at this time. We think that Annas was actually the high priest from AD 6 to AD 14, which of course this is longer, this is later than that, because you know, Jesus lived you know, 30 whatever years. He was the, but he was the patriarch of the family. So this, this particular family were the leaders of the high priestly class for like many decades, and he was kind of the one that got it started off. So we seem to recognize him as this person who started it off. And then Caiaphas is actually serving at the high priest. And then it mentions John, which we're not sure who he is, but he might actually be the person that served after Caiaphas. And then Alexander, we have no idea who he is. And they were all part of this high priestly family that came together. So the idea here is all the bigwigs have arrived, right? All the bigwigs, they have got their attention. So sometimes, if you know, like in Congress or the Senate or whatever, it's not that important of an issue. Like, and you like pan over who showed up that day, right? There's like hardly anybody there, right? A lot of things go on in government. Not a lot of people care. Not a lot of people are part of it. This particular situation, it does seem like it garnered a whole bunch of attention. You say, well, why does it garner so much attention? Well, when you raise someone from the dead, it tends to raise the eyebrows a little bit, right? And so they are really seriously concerned because if the people start believing in that they're raised from the dead, then you start this uprising. Maybe Rome comes in. Bad things happen. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Notice what they're interested in here. So they're, they're probably in a situation where there's like a half circle of the Sanhedrin around them and the two are standing there and it's this probably really intimidating type situation 
I mean, think about 70 people that are like fairly close to you, surrounding you, that kind of have all the, we, the levers of power. And what are their question? By what power? Because what is Peter and John most threatening that these people are worried about? The power, right? People listen to the power of these leaders, and they don't want to lose it. Like, by what power? By what name did you do this? What do you think gives you the right to do this? They thought this kind of power was theirs to give and theirs to withhold. Now, verse 8 is going to be the response. And I'd like us to think before we look on to verse 8 about this situation. If I'm in this situation, I've got all these powerful people in front of me. I am way in trouble. I'm thinking what's on my mind is this. How do I get out of here? Like, what would it that I would need to say? I'll apologize for it later. You know, it's good, you know. Lord, I'm sorry about that, you know. But what, you know, what do I got to do to get out of here? What, I mean, you know, I might even be able to be tempted to go into white lie territory, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I really want to get out of here. This looks like a situation to be avoided to me. Peter and John have gotten to a situation that I would think I would want to get out of, but let's look at their response, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, I would be saying something like, we're really sorry and we'll never do it again. <laughs> that's what I would have said. That, that's the direction I'm going, right? Concerned deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. They take this opportunity not to try to get out of it, not to try to take the easy road, not figure out how they're going to make it home to dinner or their wives or whatever. They say, this is an opportunity. We have all these people listening to us. We are going to take this opportunity to do what? We are going to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. They took what was a terrible situation to be avoided, and they turned it into a situation to witness. You know, sometimes we think we're in something terrible. We don't realize God has given us an incredible opportunity. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You know, we sing that song, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong. There's a lot of Old Testament Imagery here, he's talking about how what they've done, they've killed the Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, I, if I was going to preach the gospel, like maybe I would try to do it in a nice way. Like, you guys are the best. You guys might be the best Sanhedrin we've ever had. I mean, you're awesome. You're great. You're cool. I mean, you know, you, you know you're, you're really great. You, know, you should accept Jesus, but, you know, you're really great, too. You're really great, too. Don't let me, you know, let's don't I forget you're great. No, 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 no. 
I'm, I'm not suggesting being a total jerk on purpose, but the goal here was to what? Preach the truth. The truth is what mattered, and if telling them they were the ones that rejected the Messiah was what it was going to take, they did it. That was the truth. And they were more worried about taking this opportunity to tell the truth than they were worried about getting out of the situation. Verse 12, then there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now this is kind of a sidelight, and I'm going to try not to spend too much time on this particular point. But you know, sometimes we get this idea, you know, pluralism or whatever you want to call it, and this idea that all the religions are kind of right. That all the religions are kind of right. The problem with saying that all religions are kind of right is it seems here in the Bible that it says, it doesn't seem here, it says, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one way, there's only one person, it's not Buddha, it's not anybody else, right? It's Jesus Christ. So then you say, well, the other religions work too. I'm like, well, if all of them worked, then this Bible thing is just full of baloney. Because if the Bible claims that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and you're going to say that's not true, there's multiple ways that you can get to heaven, and the Bible isn't the only way, then why bother doing the rest of it? I mean, hasn't the Bible already proven that it's a little bit wacko anyway at that point? I mean, I know it's the easy route to say we're all right. It's easy to say that. And sometimes, you know, you get in a situation, oh, yeah, we're all arguing here. I think we're all right. And maybe sometimes that's true because we all kind of are going at it a different way, and so there is a sense which we all have a point. But sometimes we do it just, it's just a bold-faced lie. We're not all right. We may not know which one of us is right and wrong because we're guessing about the future, but we're, we're not all going to be right. And to say everyone, every religion is all good, we're all going to heaven, to me, if that's true, then you shouldn't bother with the Bible because the Bible's full of lies because it claims that there's only one way to heaven. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now sometimes we get a little bit down on ourselves. You know? A person's they just got they're smart. You know, they're they they're really good at school. They excelled. I mean, maybe they're even good at sports, which is, you know, even more me, you know, pretty Pretty meaningless, you know, get a certain age, it totally doesn't mean anything, right? Well, they're good at sports, maybe. They're smart. They have talent. They're eloquent. Maybe they're, you know, they're good looking, you know? And so what do we do? We say, you got to have these things in order to be doing something great, you know? If you don't have these things, you're never going to do something great. Are they successful with money? I mean, are they really good at making money? Some of us are good at making money, and some of us 
aren't, aren't so good at making money. Some of us are lucky at making money. Some of us are unlucky at making money. And sometimes we think, well, I think there's just got to be list of things that you got to have in order to do big things. And, you know, the leaders of Israel thought, you know, for these people to do big things, surely, surely they couldn't be uneducated, common men. Do not sell yourself short. Do not say, well, I don't check this box. I don't check this box. And I don't check this box. Therefore, I can't do great things from God. I can't witness to other people. I'm not that good at talking. I'm not a good socializer. I don't have the interpersonal skills. We so often sell ourselves short on what we can do because we bring in the world's idea that you got to have the right degree, you got to have the right whatever in order to make things happen for the Lord. And they also recognized that these people had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the man who had healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So probably what they wanted to do at this time was arrest them or, you know, something bad, right? I mean, whatever they could do under the law, but it got a little bit awkward because the proof was, as they'd say, the proof was in the pudding, right? The healed man was right there. What were they going to do? It was too obvious. The proof was too great, so they could say nothing. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. Okay, get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Okay, guys, what are we going to do about these two? You know, clearly, clearly we want to stay in charge, right? I mean, that's like priority number one, that we're still in charge when this thing's over. How are we going to get that done? We got to garner support from the people. I mean, this is like the closest thing to like local politics ever right here. It's like, how do we stay everyone liking us? Verse 16, saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They kind of got this whole, they healed somebody miraculously thing going on for them. It's really putting us behind the eight ball here. And so you might think they might say something like, so maybe we should become Christians. Boy, that seems like it might be a good response. There are at least 5,000 other people that seem to have that response, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. We recognize the truth is there. We're willing to admit behind closed doors. I mean, sure, they, maybe not publicly, but they were willing to go in the private meeting when, when no one else was there and the cameras are off and the microphones weren't there and say, you're right, I'm okay. Yeah, we know this is true. We know they really healed something. We can't really deny it. But anyway, what are we going to do in order to make sure that we keep our power? Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Let's start with the old intimidation method. Let's just sternly tell them that they're not, they should not do it. This is step number one. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all, 
at all in the name of Jesus. So they said, okay, you guys, come back. Okay, we've conferred, we decide, we command you never to teach the name of Jesus again. Of course, you can guess how well that worked. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them once again. This was an opportunity. This was a chance to get out of it. All they had to do was say, okay. Go home. Sorry, Jesus. Shouldn't have said okay. Promise I'll keep witnessing. They could have, oh man, this is like a, hey, here, just say okay and we'll let you go. I mean, Peter and John, they had all this leverage because of the miracle, right? They had all this leverage in this negotiation. The people were following them because of this leverage of the miracle happening. And you'd think they might take that to help themselves, but what do they do? But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They take the opportunity to get out of it, the chance to just let it all go away. And they say, no, we're going to speak about Christ no matter what. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them. Not because they couldn't have come up with the excuse in a law, right? They could have just come up with some law or made up some charge. I mean, that wasn't the problem. Finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more then 40 years old, the man had been crippled so long. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew he'd been a lifetime cripple. There was no denying, right? We talked about a few weeks ago, healing a man who'd been a cripple forever. His legs probably would have been like never walking. They would have been shriveled up. They'd have been in a terrible situation. So there was no denying that this miracle had happened. So we get to this situation where Things are going well. I'm sure the leaders will strike back. But I'd like us to think about this. You know, we're probably not going to get a situation, hopefully, probably not this week anyway, where we have to go before some kind of religious board that tells us to not witness anymore. But I think we will get in a situation where something difficult will happen and our response to this might be this. We'll be tempted to do this. God, why did you get me into this situation? Why did you let me be in this difficult thing? God, have I not been following you? I mean, I've been, I've been listening to Pastor Joel's sermons week after week, whether they were good or not. I mean, don't I get any props for that? Like, why are you letting this happen to me? Why? And we sometimes we fail to say, maybe, maybe this challenging thing, this thing I think I need to get out of, is something God has given us as an opportunity to do something bigger than we'd ever have been able to do without it. So if you have something going on in your life, if something hits you, don't just look at how you can get away. Look at how maybe God is giving it to you to be used for something larger than you could have ever imagined before that happened to you.
Let's pray. Dear, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for your word. We just pray that as we come up with situations that we just want to get out of, Lord, I just pray that we would not be focused on just getting out and taking the easy road and just trying to make things better for ourselves, Lord, but we might, we might be sensitive to your spirit, that we might be sensitive to what you are doing in our lives, because, Lord, we know that you might be giving us an opportunity, an opportunity to do something great. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.